and that's okay. There's no reason to try to um, pretend that those of us who are hurting aren't. And part of our job as God's people is to uh, mourn with those who mourn, to carry each other's burdens. And in case there's anybody who doesn't know, I I think most of you do, but what I'm talking about is a 29-year-old man unexpectedly to him and to all of us passing away. And as I've been sitting here tonight, I feel overwhelmed by that. I have all week, ever since I heard. I grew up, he was a lot younger than me, we weren't really close, but I grew up around his family and him my whole life. And as sad and overwhelming as it is, and especially for his little babies, two little children, his wife, can't imagine. Um... I couldn't help thinking their family, the surviving family, is surrounded by people who know and love the Lord and will take care of them. That doesn't make the pain easier, but here's what I'm saying. There are people all around us in the world who have nobody. And I'm not saying care less for the uh, Oliver and House family. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying... The way that we're hurting right now, the way that we care, there's always somebody nearby going through the same thing that they're going through. And sometimes I think we're not aware of that. That's not even the message that's on my heart, but I felt the need to say it. That as we mourn with them, as we pray with them, as we support and and comfort them, he had a testimony. He knew the Lord, and we're going to get to see him again. And there's people who won't. Like Brother Johnny said last night, if you're not saved, if you've never surrendered to God and been saved by His glorious grace, I'm not going to see you again after you die. So I've really felt the need to bring that to our attention. I want to say one other thing before I get into the message. I'm really thankful for this congregation. I used to stand a couple feet over from where Brother Johnny is when Mary Grace was a baby with her on my shoulder, and she'd watch Brother Brian preach. And I'm really thankful we had a place to come and hear the truth. A safe church. Not all churches are safe. Maybe know what I'm talking about. Some of them will take you to hell. And I'm not pointing fingers. I'm saying if they don't preach Jesus as the only gate and only door and the way, the truth, and the life, it's not a safe church. He's, he's the, the one, the only one that can do anything for us. That's right. And I'm very thankful for you all. Mm-hmm. Y'all have been a big support to me and to the ch- church at Hendersonville and in and, and prayer and even financially, and I'm very humbled. And I, I couldn't go any further without saying thank you for that. So I want to get right into the, the message on my heart. If you turn to Jeremiah 29, that's where we'll take one of our texts. This is so common that Brother Anthony quoted it the other night. People talk about it all the time. As you're turning there, I want to tell you a story. Years ago, I had a really close friend who the Lord was dealing with. She was very religious, did all the the wonderful things, went on mission trips, wanted to save the world, but she was lost. 
And I remember talking to her when I was first getting to know her. And it came up, and, and it, I phrased the question, I don't remember exactly how I said it, but it was something like, um, what do you feel like God is leading you in your life? What do you feel like He's telling you? And she, she quoted this verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper. And, and I listened, and, and I said, that's what God told Jeremiah. What's He telling you? Now, I don't know if that conversation had any impact on her being saved some years later, but she was. And uh, I say that to say Jeremiah 29, 11 is a very misquoted verse. Amen. That's right. Very. And, and, and people take this one verse and they try to turn it into like a prosperity gospel. And uh, God only wants good for everybody all the time. He's never going to be mean to anybody no matter what. And if you just serve him, your life will be easy. That's just just read the chapters surrounding Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, but be aware of taking things out of context. One example of that, and then I'm I'm just going to plow ahead. But I had to say these introductory things. You know, the Bible says there is no God, but the rest of the verse says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. You can take a portion of any scripture and make it say anything you want. It doesn't mean it's accurate or, or true. And so we, when I say, I, I explain that to say this. When I say we have to understand this in context, that's what I'm talking about. So there's two things really on my heart tonight. And the first thing is that God knows his own plans. Whether you do or not. I don't understand, for example, why Brother Kyle is gone from us. I don't understand it, but God does. And I'm not sure if I will ever understand it, but God understands it. He knows his own perfect plans. God doesn't make mistakes. The fact that you're here tonight is not an accident. The fact that you have an opportunity to hear the gospel, saved and lost alike, is not an accident. God knew you would be here, and He planned for you to hear this message tonight. He knows His own plan. So listen to what this verse says. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts or plans, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me. With all of your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. That sounds wonderful and beautiful, and it is in context. Before I explain more of that context, I want you to understand very clearly God wants. Good things for you. God has only good always planned for His children. That's the only thing He plans for us is good. We might not see it at the time. And that's part of this passage that we're going to talk about. God's heart toward His children is always only good. 
Even if his present actions appear not to suggest that, sometimes he has to take actions based on your behavior that seems like it's not all good for you. But we're short-sighted. We're, we're like, we're children. I think about my, my little baby. Oh, she is <laughs> nothing like her. I have plans for her for 20 years from now that I'm trying to prepare for. She doesn't know that. And sometimes parents have plans for their children and they take a bad path and the parents have to modify how they interact with their children to try to keep them from being destroyed. Yes. But the heart of a good parent toward his child is only good always. And we're not even good. If I feel that way about my baby, how much more our Heavenly Father? In fact, Jesus said this. If you, being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more your Father in Heaven will give good things to those whom He loves. So I want you... Listen, if you don't know the Lord and you feel like preachers are always preaching at you, trying to make you be saved, it's not a pressure thing. This is the best thing that could ever happen to you. It is a product of God's love that when He deals with you and draws you and invites you I'll talk about that later in the message. He invites you to a place of repentance. It hurts and it's uncomfortable because you're not prepared for His love yet. But when you surrender and you uh, repent and trust Him and you're saved gloriously, His love is the most beautiful thing you can ever experience. That also applies to us who are God's children. There's nothing better than His love. Even if we don't understand the little circumstances in our life in every present moment. Before I get away from this passage too far, let's talk about what I said, the context. Um, These beautiful promises of God. I know the thoughts I think towards you. I know the plans I have for you. (laughs) Plans for peace and not evil. This is a promise he's making for them to experience after 70 years of captivity under foreign government, foreign power. And if you read in the previous chapters, God began telling Jeremiah, who was a true prophet of God, there were lots of false ones. He began telling him, tell my people to willingly go into captivity under Babylon. In fact, let me read this to you. 5th verse, 27th chapter. This is what God told uh, Jeremiah to tell the people ultimately. I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground, by my great power, by my outstretched arm, and I have given it unto whom it seemed appropriate unto me. And now have I given all of these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. The beast of the field have I given him also to serve him. And all nations shall serve him and his sons and his sons' sons until the very time of this land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, says the Lord, with the sword and with famine and with pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand. Let me make this very clear. God is telling Jeremiah to tell the people, if you don't allow yourselves to go under bondage, under Nebuchadnezzar, I will have to kill you. You're going to die if you don't listen to me. Now, I want you to know, it was not comfortable or pleasurable for them to go into captivity. 
for their culture to be stolen from them. And for some of them had their names changed. And some of them, had, they weren't allowed to eat their own food. And their, everything about it, they were picked up, put in another place, some of them. They had to obey different rules and customs and traditions. And, and yet, in the midst of it, for, for decades, they couldn't understand it. It was for their good. And I'm not even going to pretend to understand all of it looking back on it a, a few thousand years later reading it. I'm not saying I understand it all. I'm saying God does. He knows. He said, I know the plans I have for you. I have planned for this to happen to preserve you. However little sense it might make to you, this is for your good. See, in the midst of tragedy and, and heartache and brokenness and pain, we don't recognize sometimes that God is still working. And it's for our good whether we can see it or not. Now he tells Jeremiah very clearly, and Jeremiah tells the people very clearly, this is what God requires. If you want to live, you must submit yourself to my will in this way. As we have in our present day, so they also had then. A lot of people who were preaching a gospel of ease and, and convenience and prosperity, and they said this isn't true. You're going to be fine. It's not going to happen. Just serve the Lord and everything will be okay. That's what these false prophets were saying. We're told in another place in Scripture that they were prophets of the deceit of their own heart. The Lord said, I didn't send them. Don't listen. And so this is true still today. People who preach to you that you can do whatever you want in your life and get by with whatever you want and God's just nice and kind and He's some kind of loving Santa Claus and there's no consequences. Don't listen. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the ends of the earth and the supreme judge of the universe and we better do what He says. It's dangerous not to. He said, 10th verse, They prophesy a lie unto you to remove you far from your land and that I should drive them out and you should perish. In other words, you listen to this soft gospel that they're preaching, you listen to this soft prophecy that they're prophesying and you're going to die. I grew up hearing people say about salvation, all you have to do is. And then they would say whatever their thing was. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is go down the aisle. All you have to do is get baptized. And I preached one time years ago, if we preach all you have to do is, dot, 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 we open the door to a pathway leading to hell. Jesus didn't say that. The apostles didn't say that. Jesus said, I am the way. The truth and the life. Anybody who tries to come to the Father must come through me. He's the only way. And I'm not ashamed to say that because he saved and transformed my life. I owe him that. Their uh, false prophecy became so... Um, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like a big performance. If you read in the next chapter, the 28th chapter, I won't take the time to read it, but there was a prophet named Hananiah, and he brought Jeremiah before the people. He put a, a wooden yoke on his neck. It was this big charade, demonstrate, I mean, performance. 
And there are plenty of people today putting on a good performance without the power or the truth of God. That's what Hananiah was doing. He brought Jeremiah before him. He has this yoke on his neck. Hananiah takes off the yoke, breaks it, and he says, so is the Lord going to do for you. You're going to be just fine. It's not what God told Jeremiah. And in fact, this was so serious. 13th verse, 28th chapter. We'll start with 12th verse. The word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of, of the Jeremiah the prophet. Listen, Hananiah's a prophet, but he's wrong. Go tell Hananiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. They shall serve him, and I have given him the beast of the field also. Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people to trust in a lie. Brothers, men, listen, I wish we were bold like that today. You're wrong. I know because God told me you're not preaching the truth. And you are harming His people. Stop. Pray that we would have boldness like that. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth this year, thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. We read, we just read past stuff. Do y'all realize this false prophet, God killed him. And he told his true prophet he was going to do it. And the true prophet told the false prophet it was coming. And he told him why. You've caused the people to rebel against the Lord by your soft teachings. Now, what does all that have to do with how I started this message? God does have good plans for you, and He knows what they are. He wants good for you. Because we have to understand the context of Jeremiah 29, 11. The context is, in the midst of everything else going on, no matter how much difficulty, pain, destruction, no matter how much pain, no matter how long it's taking, could you imagine they're there 70 years? He says, I know the plans I have for you. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. I don't know what you're going through in your life. I know what what some uh, among us are going through with, with Brother Kyle, but there's other problems. There's other pains. There's other hurts that we've gone through. Some of y'all have been through things in your life that you're still suffering from. And you may have buried it under so much noise and life stuff that you've Almost forgotten, but it's still there. And listen, I want you to know, God knows the plans He has for you. Plans for good. Plans for blessing. Plans for health. Plans for for help. Thoughts of peace and not evil. Whatever you've gone through in your life. See, sometimes our experiences can begin to color our view of God. And I want to repeat what I said earlier. God's heart for His children is always only good. Sometimes we lose sight of that through what's going on in our own lives. But it doesn't change that it's true. Some people interpret the natural consequences of their own bad decisions as evidence that God is judgmental or harsh. But that's not the case at all. Let me make it clear. If you've been 
been disobedient to God and you've done things that are destructive and He has tried to get your attention and there's some form of, of, of discipline that He's having to put in place, that's not His heart for you. It's just necessary because His heart is a heart of love for you. I, I don't like upsetting my little girl when I, when I have to help her understand something's dangerous. Love compels me to. Right? Even if she can't see it in the moment. Love compels God to discipline us. And more than that, love compels God, when you don't know Him yet, to try to get your attention. And it is uncomfortable and it is painful. But it's necessary. We have a tendency... Sometimes, well, often, I guess, to try to um, bend the scriptures to fit what we think they're saying instead of letting them say what they're really saying. And I want to give you an example of that because we do that with the Lord. We do that with His truth and we misunderstand. And, and based on our perception of God, we tend to bend Him into something a lot more harsh and mean than He actually is. I know people who think God is like an abusive stepfather. I'm not being funny. They think that's what God is like. Because they feel like that's what they've experienced from Him. And then I know people who think God's just up there floating around giving them good stuff and He's not even real. And neither one of those things are true. They're both a a perversion of the actual truth. Sometimes we read something in Scripture and, and we focus on just one part of it, like I already said. But I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about. How many of you have quoted or heard or heard talked about, I've seen it even in movies, the sins of the fathers will be visited to the third and fourth generation. Have you all heard that? Read it? Said it? It's true? Say it. But how often do you hear people talk about the rest of the same passage? God's heart is to bless a thousand generations. That should overwhelm us. Listen to this just briefly. I'll just read it. Um, This is after the first tablets were already destroyed by by the tablets, the uh, law that God gave to Moses. And he gave him the second set. And listen to this. The Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like the first, and I'll write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which you broke. And be ready in the morning, and come in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present yourself unto me in the top of the mountain. No man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mountain, neither let the flocks nor the herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. Moses rose up early. In other words, he was completely obedient. Rose up early in the morning, went to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed. Now, some of y'all think God would have proclaimed something hard or critical or destructive or bad. Listen to what the Lord proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. 
And Moses made haste and bowed his head to the earth and worshipped him. And he said, If now I've found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it's a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for thy inheritance. Why do we focus on just the third and fourth generation part? So we have a twisted view of God. His heart for us. His name that he was proclaiming. I, could you ima- I can't even imagine what that must have been like. To be in the unpolluted presence of God and him telling you what his name is. In other words, his name, his identity. His essence. Who he is. The Lord. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands or for a thousand generations. As it says in another place. That's God's heart. And so I repeat to you that the first part of this message before I get to my second point. God knows his plans for you. And they are only good. Now, there may be some here tonight. I hate to think of this, but there might be some here who end up in hell. Because you chose not to, at some point in your life, seek the Lord. I'm not trying to scare you into praying right now. If the Holy Spirit's not drawing you, that's up to Him. Let Him do His work. But when He draws you, pray, seek Him. But that won't change that God's heart for you was good. If you willfully choose not to do what God has required, that doesn't change how He is. His heart is still good. He still wants the best for us. The very fact that you're getting to sit here again, all of us, and hear the gospel and listen to the Lord, and, and not, I'm not saying I'm, but a message from Him and prayerfully to hear from the Holy Spirit, what a blessing. What we do with that is up to us, all of us. God wants only good for us. We might not always be able to see it. And listen, you live long enough, you go through things in your life that are impossible for you to handle on your own. I have. I'm not that old, but I've been through things that would have completely destroyed me except for God's grace. But God knew. Even if I couldn't see the next step, and all I could see was the present worry, God knew. And He knows. Here's something the Lord showed me a couple weeks ago. And I intentionally don't say God told me this. I mean, I I was walking and and there was an impression in my spirit. And I felt this was from the Lord. Unpredictable is not the same thing as uncertain. And predictability does not equal certainty. Though your future may as yet be unknown to you, your future and everything in it is entirely certain to God. And though you may be unable to predict aspects of your future or your future in general, that doesn't mean your future is at all uncertain. The Lord knows. Listen to this. The Lord knows. And that is certainty enough. Why do we ever think we need more than that? His knowledge is complete and He knows what we need. I don't like to overtell stories from my own life, but I I feel like I should mention this before I go on. My wife and I, 
we got engaged when I was working in Germany and and we talked about it and I told her I feel like I need to leave this job. I worked for uh, the Veterans Administration, which is a federal job, the most secure job you can have. And uh, I had already asked her to marry me and I said, uh, I feel like I need to be done with this. So a couple days before my birthday, I get on an airplane, fly home from Germany, and that's the last day I ever had a job. The last day I worked for the government. We got married. That was March 29th. We got married May 4th. And um, by the end of May, y'all, some of y'all know this, not all of you do. So I want to tell you, God has proven what I'm saying in my own life. By the end of May, she got sick. Woke up one morning with a lot of pain in her feet, and, and we were we were newlyweds. I talked to my, my best friend, Ben Stickle, and I said, I don't know, like, I don't know her well enough to know if she's actually in bad shape or is just a wimp. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, he'll tell you, that's what I told him. And, and uh, she walked into the emergency room, and two days later, well, maybe the next day, collapsed couldn't stand anymore and became paralyzed all the way from her feet up to here. For those of you who know what it is, Guillain-Barre syndrome. I never heard of it. And she spent 31 days in the hospital. And the time in my life that should have been maybe the hardest thing I've ever gone through, maybe something that might have made me bitter toward God, all I experienced was his all-sustaining love. But she'll tell you, I mean, the way he loved us through that was a bigger confirmation of who he is than the fact that he actually healed her. And I don't know how to explain it other than to say that. So I'm telling you, I'm not preaching something I just made up. I'm preaching something I've lived. God only wants good for you, and no matter how hard it is to see, and by the way, I mentioned leaving my job. He's taking care of us with that too. I got to be there with her every day in the hospital and not have to worry about losing a job. And It all worked out. It works out. Let me finish up with the second point that's really on my heart. And this one is also very humbling. Not only does God have good plans for you and he knows what those plans are, but God has chosen you. Now, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1. Before I read some of this, I want to give a little disclaimer. Sometimes, because there's a lot of theology and a lot of people with a lot of ideas about what they think matters, we feel the need to go too far to the left or too far to the right to try to, to counterbalance something that we know is false. And there's a, there's a resurgence of uh, Calvinism now today. And, and I, I'm not a Calvinist, and we could talk about that. That's not the message today. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, Amen. not John Calvin. Yeah. And there were some things he might have got right, and there were some things he might have got wrong, just like me. Yeah. Sometimes I go back and listen to a sermon from a few years ago and say, I wonder if I still believe what I did back then. <laughs> we're not perfect. That's right. And so, why did I say all of that? Because what I'm about to read, I don't want you, if you're closer to the Calvinist side, to get out your hammer 
and, and get ready to start driving home what you think is true. And if you're a little further from the Calvinist side, I don't want you to get out your shield and prepare to defend against what you think isn't. All I want you to do is hear what the Word of God says. Okay? Listen to this. Forget all of the theological camps and just listen to how amazing this is. Fourth verse, well, third verse to give us a, a, good, a good start here. Uh, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He has purposed in Himself. Now I could keep going, but what I get out of this is, God chose you. And He did it because He's good. And He did it further back than anybody you knew even think, thought of you existing. That should amaze us. That shouldn't make you put your Calvinist hat on or put up your anti-Calvinist shield. That should amaze us. God chose you. And if you're not saved yet, that should amaze you. God chose you. When He deals with you, that is evidence that He has chosen you. What a beautiful opportunity. Amen. You don't need to be afraid. I remember when I was lost being, being uh, well, there's a scripture that says the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. As a, as a 12, 13, 14 year old boy, it was through the pride of my countenance that I didn't want to seek God. I literally didn't pray because I didn't want people to see me crying. I cry a lot now. I don't care. And the day the Lord saved me, I tell people this. My mom says I should maybe say it more polished or something. He saved me on my face in a puddle of tears and snot. That's real. That's what it took for me. I was on my belly in the floor. <laughs> in front of a building full of people. Now, that you don't have to do that unless God uh, requires it for you. But for me, I had to get past my pride. I had to get past thinking I could con God into saving me by myself alone somewhere where nobody would notice. I couldn't make deals with Him. I tried that. The only thing that worked, listen, the only thing that worked was absolute and total unconditional surrender. That's right, that's really the, the big part of repentance. Brother Johnny preached the other night that, I don't know if it's exactly how you said it, but it stuck with me. Repentance is God-prompted. Yes. You can't make yourself repent. God has to. You know that used to be built into our literature? Yeah. I read this in Robinson Crusoe, not even a religious book, and there's a, a, a point in there where the character is stranded on his island and he says, God grant me repentance. Yeah. That used to be in the ver just in the air. God, grant me repentance. What a blessing that God has granted repentance to those of us who are saved by His grace. What a blessing. 
That's what I want you all to think about in light of everything else that's been preached this week. And I meant what I said last night when I, when I stood up briefly in service. Our focus doesn't need to be on the lost. It needs to be on the Lord. And, and we say things because we have good intentions like we're here for you, lost sinner. No, we're not. We're here to glorify God. This is not all about you if you're a lost sinner. This is about God. And a byproduct of us glorifying Him is He will exercise His power and you might be drawn and be able to repent and be saved. And it will be for His glory. Read Ephesians 1 again. For His own glory, He saved us. I want to leave you with one thought. Talking about the blessing of God. Back to what I said at the beginning of the message that God has in His heart for you only blessings always. Let me read you something that, that will drive that home. Watchman Nee, a Chinese missionary, spent most of his life in prison. He says, Surely the one fundamental need in our life and service for God is the blessing of God upon it. No other need exists. What do we mean by blessing? Blessing is the working of God where there is no, nothing to account for His working. For instance... You calculate that a penny should buy a penny worth, but if you haven't paid your penny and God has given you 10,000 penny worth, then you have no basis for your calculations. When five loaves provide food for 5,000 and leave 12 baskets of fragments, when, that is to say the fruit of our service is out of all proportion to the gifts we possess, that is blessing. You listen to that part again. The fruits of our service are out of all proportion to the gifts we possess. That's true of us as God. Everything I have is a gift of God, and there's nothing I've done to accumulate any of it. He blesses me because He loves me, because He's a good Father, because He's my Daddy. We don't need to be ashamed. I preached about that this morning. We don't need to be worried about His blessing. He wants to bless us. Or to be rather extreme when taking account of our failures and weaknesses, there should be no fruit at all from our labors. And still there is fruit. That is blessing. Blessing is fruit out of all relation to what we are. Results that are not just the working of cause and effect. Listen to this. Blessing comes when God works wholly beyond our reckoning for His namesake. But when I say God wants to bless you, that's what I'm talking about. And may God bless you.